thank you for downloading this podcast from the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. This episode of Pardes from Jerusalem features Rabbi Alex Israel on Parashat Shoftim, All in the Family, a unique window into the Pew Study of American Jews. Please join us on Wednesday, August 11th on Zoom as we meet the Abramson-Zinko family. Two generations, four rabbis, three denominations. Rabbi Leon Morris, the president of Pardes, will moderate this engaging conversation about diversity, perspective, and the differences of American Judaism as learned from the Pew Study. To get more information and how to register, please visit www.pardes.org.il forward slash P-E-W. And now, here is Rabbi Alex Israel. Shalom, this is Alex Israel, delighted to be with you. And today we're going to talk about Parshat Shoftim. And let's start off with a question. If you were walking through the street and you saw a policeman approaching you, you were driving and you saw a police car in your rearview mirror, would that be a cause of concern, a cause for concern, or maybe, you know, make you very secure and happy? The reason why I ask is because our parasha begins with a very interesting command, Shoftim v'shotrim titein l'cha b'chol sha'arecha. That in every single one of your gates, in every single one of your towns, you should have shoftim, judges, and shotrim, and police. Um, and you shall judge the people true justice. Uh, we're then told that judges are not allowed to take bribes. You're not allowed to pervert justice. You're not allowed to literally lahakir panim. You're not allowed to recognize faces. You're not allowed to favoritize people because they're too, they're poor or because they're wealthy or they're well connected or because they're unfortunate. Um, and we're told also the uh, problematic nature of bribery. The idea that you're not allowed to a judge is not allowed to take bribes. Because once you start taking bribes, you can be as wise or so to speak righteous but suddenly your eyes will be blinded and your words will be falsified. It's fascinating that when the Torah decides to tell us to appoint judges in all of our gates, the first thing it mentions in order that tzedek tzedek tirudof, in order that we should really pursue justice, is it warns us of the pitfalls of judges, that judges have to be completely impartial and that judges have to be incredibly careful not to subject themselves and allow themselves to be bribed so that indeed we will experience mishpat tzedek the notion of justice i love it i have to say how our parsha whenever it talks about a leadership role it already warns us about where one might fall down within that role so here we're talking about judges and we talk about the dangers of lahakir panim to play favorites or alternatively the dangers of bribery. For example, when we talk about the king, a national leader, the leader is warned um, not to be too overblown with their pride and not to get involved with having too many wives, too much money, to build his army too much. Um, 
instead of telling us what the king can do, it tells us what the king might, where the king might fall foul, where the king might fall down, what his temptations might be. But let's go back to our topic and back to the topic of judges. And I want to focus on the idea that judges, are. T- we are told that they have to be b'chol sha'arecha, in all of your gates. And what might this indicate? What might this teach us? And my teacher, Ravaran Lichtenstein, suggested something, I think, quite significant, because the Talmud in Masechet Makot says that this is particularly relevant in the land of Israel. That outside Israel, you know, there will be uh, judges who are available to you, but in the, it's only in the land of Israel that we need to establish courts in every single district and, in fact, in every single city. If you recall the book of Ruth, when Boaz wants to marry Ruth and engage in a, a legal proceedings, where does he go? He goes to the gate of the town. Boaz Allah Sha'ar, Sham, he sits at the gateway, and that's where he gathers ten people of the elders of the city so they, that he can form a plenum and he can engage in a um, legal, um, legal procedure. So we know the idea that judges, and we found even in archaeology, that judges sat within the gateways of the city. So what's this idea of judges in every single, um, in every single city gate? So at some level, it's 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 really simple. Um, it's there so that the people will have access to the law. We want the presence of law courts at the not only the district level, but literally in every single um, marketplace. So that if you have an argument, for example, between a shopkeeper and somebody who's buying, they can simply go to the gateway, they can go to the courthouse, and this becomes an address, a venue, where the average citizen can seek law and justice. In other words, access to the law means more than that the law is sitting in a book. Um, justice has to be responsive, it has to be geographically available, and there has to be a speediness of response. Um, that's really, in our modern society, we really fall short of that. I remember once being involved in a court dispute, and even just to get the dating court uh, took several months, and then it took several months further till we had our first hearing, and it schlepped out and dragged out for, for, for months, and in fact for years. So at some level, when you literally at the gateway of the city, you have not only the judges themselves, but also the people, the shotrim, the police who can actually be the the force of law. Um, The public space becomes much more um, aware of law. I asked the question in my opening line of class, are you happy if there's a policeman uh, walking along the, the, the sidewalk in front of you or or driving behind you in the street. And I think we should, if we want justice to be a force within society, and sometimes when we want better law enforcement, when we want more law, one of the ways is to put more police on the streets, because then the law is seen, the law is felt. This is something which is really present for everybody, and we all feel maybe a greater sense that the law is being responsive. All of that is from the perspective, of course, of the common people. However, I think there's another dimension also from the perspective of the judges themselves. 
because of course uh, if the judges are sitting at some distant location if the judges are are far off disconnected from the people then how much do they really know the experience of the people that they are judging you can't compare the experience of uh, somebody who's pronouncing the law amongst people um, who he knows who he cares about who, who is part of his ethnic group or religious group or social group um, and somebody who is you know very very distant the magistrate has to be part and parcel of the city and has to be able to feel the pulse of the city its pressures its needs its difficulties and also the potential for change and only when he's really living besharecha in the in the actual city itself will he fully comprehend he or she comprehend the impact of the laws that they legislate and in that case the law will be more focused more effective more useful um a regional magistrate uh, who lives in a emotional and existential remove from the people that he judges uh, is not the same as, as somebody who is a local uh, who's really stuck into the local scene and we see that sometimes i'd say here in israel with um policing right is there trust in the arab sector to a jewish policeman is there trust in the ultra-orthodox sector to a policeman who maybe comes from a very very different social reality but maybe if we can make sure that there are people in the police force who represent every single sector of society every um, different subgroup every ethnicity then there is more trust there is more uh, buy-in there is more sensitivity there's a common language and suddenly we have a situation whereby both the people who are judging and enforcing the law have a greater degree of connection to the people. This, of course, will mean that the application of the law and its enforcement is more effective and will be received at a sort of a better level. It will be integrated better. I say all of this because this is indeed the opening of our parsha, Shoftim v'shotrim titein l'cha b'chol sharecha, in chapter 16, verse 18. And in fact, what is being opened here is a whole series of laws which interlock to do with the leadership of the country, the governance of the country. We hear about the judges, we hear about the priests, we hear about the prophets, and of course the king. And here the plot thickens a little bit because we're going to, after everything I've said about the importance of local leadership, we're going to hear about a completely different type of court. Just... A few verses down, um, chapter 17, verse 8, we hear the following. Ki yipalei mimcha davar la mishpat, bein dam le dam, bein din le din, bein negra le negra. When something is too difficult for you to judge, whether it's in a matter of ritual, blood, whether it's a matter of law, maybe civil law, bein negra le negra, maybe ritual law, divrei rivot b'sha'arecha, or maybe it's a matter of controversy within your local regions, you should get up and you should actually travel to the place which God chooses. What place is that? That's the site of the temple. And there you will come to the priests and the Levites and the judges who will be in those days. And they will seek their advice and they will tell you the word of the law. And you must do as what they tell you from that place which God chooses. And keep whatever they rule for you. And later we're told, do not diverge 
neither to the right nor to the left. And this is the law of the Supreme Court, what later became known with a Greek word of Sanhedrin, or the Beit Din Hagadol, the notion that there is a Supreme Court of 70 judges, maybe headed by a head of the Beit Din, 71, uh, who sit in the temple, in the Lishkata Gazit, in a special hall, special chamber, uh, and these become the, the Sanhedrin, the ultimate word in Jewish law. So here we have a really interesting question, because on the one hand, I just, I hopefully convinced you that it's really effective to have local leadership, to have local law, which is both accessible to the people and responsive to the people. But now suddenly we hear about a single body who pronounce law for the entire country, especially when local courts don't quite know how to rule, and they can pronounce the law for everybody. And they sit in the temple itself. What is the need for this central court? What is the need for this um, you know, supreme uh, body of law? How exactly do they serve in a single location in order to be responsive to the people? And we gain the sense that possibly there is this uh, need to have almost a detached sense of law, that some people need to go and look at the law and pronounce it on its own tenets, on its own principles, on its own fundamentals. And they are actually, in some sense, uh, maybe the 70th greatest scholars of the land who are uh, looking at the law in almost a theoretical sense, obviously in a practical sense, but uh, looking at the nation as a whole. Uh, they can't deal with regional differences. They can't make differences between this group and that group between the tribe of Ruvain and the tribe of Zavulun, between the tribes of Asher and Naphtali. They don't know the local concerns. What they know is they know the law, and they look at the nation as a whole, and they're looking at a sense of unity of the law. Another fascinating detail is that this Supreme Court sits, sits at the site of the temple, and people come to the temple in order to worship. They come to the temple in order to have a religious experience. So imagine going to the temple to have an experience of God, but who is sitting, if you want, in the major hall alongside the area of uh, sacrifices and uh, divine worship? It is the Supreme Court. And what is being said very clearly, I think, is that there is a side where we want spiritual experiences of uh, the, the, the divine, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but Judaism really believes in translating the divine message back into action, back into conduct, back into how we live our lives, into the practicalities. And that religious fervor is very important, but maybe most important is the way that we live out our lives in terms of the practicalities. Are we living a Jewish lifestyle, not do we just feel a religious impulse? So we have uh, judges, magistrates, uh, police at the local level, and then we have the Supreme Court in the place which God chooses, which turns out to be Jerusalem, a sort of local application and then a central body. And I was thinking about this in terms of rabbinic leadership, because uh, in our communities, the center of each community is a, is a synagogue, is a shul with a rabbi. And the rabbi, of course, knows his congregants and he knows how to be responsive to them. He leads the community with an in-depth understanding of um, the needs of the area, 
the way that his congregants experienced their Judaism, their relationship with the world, um, then that's one dimension that we need in terms of religious leadership. But then we also sometimes want to experience people who are a head and shoulders above the rest. Sometimes it's going to a major academy, a major yeshiva or institute, whereby, whereby there are world-class scholars, there are learned people, rabbis, rashi yeshiva, professors, who frequently have greater mastery of the material than a local rabbi. After, after all, a local rabbi spends a lot of their time running the community, counseling people. Here we might encounter the great scholars of an age. And I ask myself, what are the appropriate questions? And I'll ask you and maybe leave you with this question. What are the appropriate questions to ask the Gedolei Hador, the great leaders of the generation? What question would you put forward to an Abraham Joshua Heschel, to a Rabbi Soloveitchik? What halachic questions would you put to a Rav Shlomo Zalman Arbach or a Moshe Feinstein? Um, when is it appropriate to ask the question of somebody who maybe has exceptional knowledge, but not an in-depth knowledge of, of the communities uh, that we're talking about? And when is it appropriate to turn something over to a local rabbi, the local Shoftim Veshotrim? I remember once um, in London, they were trying to decide whether to make an Eruv. An Eruv is a means whereby you can enclose sections of the communal space um, via all sorts of artificial barriers and thereby allow an area where you can carry uh, even in the public thoroughfare on Shabbat. And the local rabbis in London decided to take the question because they'd never had an Eruv before there. They took the, the question to the man who was considered to be probably the leading halachic decision maker in the Orthodox world, a very humble man, Rab Shlomo Zalman Orbach, a man who lived in Shari Chesed in Jerusalem, but was really considered to be the foremost halachic authority. And when they posed the question to him, you know what he said? He said, I don't live in London. I don't know the local politics. I don't really understand the impact, impact that this would have on the Jewish community in London. So please excuse me if I allow this to be dealt with on a local level, and I might well be the place where the buck stops in terms of major halachic principles. However, on a local issue, you have to ask local authorities. And here, once again, we have a very tr interesting interplay between the shoftim v'shotrim, the local judges, and at the same time, where we also have a need for questions that can't be solved at a local level and need to go to a Supreme Court, new circumstances that arrive, new changing realities that need an answer, and maybe a standard set for all the Jewish people, what we call the Sanhedrin, when is one more useful and when is the other? So I'll leave you thinking about that and wish you all a Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening. Thank you again for downloading this podcast, a production of the Pardes Institute of Jewish Studies. If you liked what you just heard, please give us a five-star review wherever you download your podcast today. Please be sure to follow us on Spotify for the latest episode of Pardes from Jerusalem or by visiting elmod.pardes.org. Be sure to tune in next week as Rav Mike Foyer teaches on Parashat Kititze. Thanks for listening.